What's going on, FCS football fans? This is the FCS Opening Drive Podcast, presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting and Football Game Plan. David Hasshagen with you, as always, along with the czar of the playbook, Emery Hunt. Emery, good morning, sir. Good morning, sir. How is everything going to you on this fine winter morning? It is definitely a winter morning, and we are about to hit the deep freeze. I know you in North Dakota won't don't want to hear that when it was negative eight at kickoff. But good you thing were, they play in the dome. Yeah, but you were inside, so I don't know if that counts. Negative anyway, eight at kickoff? Negative eight at kickoff. I believe it was negative 21 with the wind chill outside. That just doesn't make and sense, And they're man. still tailgating shirtless. Yikes. Because you know what? Why y'all not? are y'all are bred different up there. I'll t- I'll give you all the credit in the world for that. Defense was the story of the quarterfinals. We'll go through all of them along with our game balls. We've got every coaching vacancy filled before the start of the new year. Really a uh, quick turnaround for the coaches, so we'll talk about all of them. There's some intriguing ones though that we'll look forward to. We'll talk award winners as well. The Eddie Robinson and Jerry Rice awards were handed out this past week as well as the finalists for the Buck Buchanan Award. We're going to talk about some FCS commitments to some all-star games, as well as a breakdown of the Celebration Bowl between A&T and Alcorn and the semifinals between Weber State and JMU and Montana State and North Dakota State. We will get through to all of that. Emery, where were you, where were you this week? You had a nice week off, weekend off? or uh... Not really. I, you know, covering <laughs> NFL games and uh, you know just prepping for what will be the hall of the draft season. You know, we yeah. had the two weeks ago, we had the FCS Bowl uh, in a national bowl. And, you know, coming January, we'll be down at the College Gridiron Showcase, right. Tropical Bowl, East-West Shrine Game, Senior Bowl, and then Combine. So it's prepping for the long haul and also prepping for the playoffs and bowl season. So it's been a lot of behind-the-scenes work that, we, that we're trying to work out on and, uh, you know, we got a lot of stuff coming down the pipe. A lot. There is no offseason, folks. There's absolutely no offseason. Before we get into the quarterfinals, I do want to mention this. Football is an amazing game for a lot of reasons, but this weekend, especially up here in the Northeast, uh, it was extra special. Saturday uh, was the seven-year anniversary of the shooting at uh, San, uh, Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut. And seven years to the day, this Saturday, Newtown High School wins their first state title since 1992 on a walk-off touchdown and the scenes were just absolutely incredible and it's something that the town can rally around and behind and it's just an outstanding story they were on uh, I think they were on CBS uh, with the NFL crew yesterday just an incredible story of what football and what sport can do uh, to bring the healing and bring the passion of a community back together that has gone through so much so shout out to newtown high school congratulations you've more than earned this now let's get into the college game and let's move into the fcs quarterfinals and we'll start we'll go in chronological order because there were three games on friday and one game on saturday don't worry north dakota state fans we will get to you but we'll start with james madison taking on northern iowa Really interesting game here because the conditions were awful in this one. It was misty. It was foggy. It was raining down in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Um, interesting clash, too, because you and I came into this one very shorthanded. A lot of injuries, especially on the offensive side of the ball. JMU looked like this was going to be a walkover. I think I said in my prediction, I think I said something like 42-10 to 10 or something like that. But the UNI defense, my goodness that they put forth an effort. It wasn't enough in this one. They lost 17 to nothing. But without that defensive front, this one could have been over by halftime, and it was a competitive game right to the end. Yeah, and that's the issue when you're looking at great defensive performances. You don't want to waste these performances, and that was one of the concerns we had 
about them coming into this ball game was, man, can their defense step up and make plays? And th- their defense stepped up. It w- I'm sorry, th- can their offense step up and make plays? Yeah. Uh, the defense kept them in this ball game. You felt as though, man, with the turnovers they were able to force and, yeah. you know, the big plays they were able to get, the forcing the, the punts and offensively could they make two plays in this ball game gave them an opportunity. But credit their defense – Lights out from the start of this ball game. Oh, first play uh, it looked first like they, play, got, they got exactly like they got a turnover. But man, what a valiant effort by Northern Iowa! But great performance by JMU because you weathered that storm. Yeah, stay consistent. You got one more point than your opponent. That's all you really need. So they got enough offense to where they got the win. But I thought both defenses really came ready to play. That's what I was going to add in there. JMU's defense was outstanding as well. Uh, Daka and Holloway were all over the place. I don't know how many turnovers were forced in this game. I think it, was, it must have been close to double digits. It was all over the place. Part of that's due to the conditions of the game. Uh, but JMU showed that you know they get the right defense scheme against them. They're a little bit vulnerable. So it'll be interesting to see how they translate and how they fix those things uh, moving forward into the second round because they were certainly – it looked like they moved the ball well in the passing game, but the running game got absolutely nothing against that UNI front. Move on to the second game here. This was probably the most intriguing game of the four. It was Montana State taking on Austin P. Um, obviously, Austin P has been kind of the Cinderella story of these playoffs, going out of the OVC in their first playoff run, really doing a terrific job. Kind of shocked some people in the first couple of rounds. Montana State, obviously, they had that big win in the brawl of the Wild a couple, you know, a couple of weeks ago at the end of the regular season. They were a, they've been a steady team all year. So the question was, how would they do against this Austin P defense, who is outstanding, especially with what Montana State likes to do? Close battle in this one as well, especially in the first half. Montana State, though, did start to pull away. They hit a couple big plays to start and then really didn't get anything going until the second half of that ball game. They do get the win, though, 24-10 to to move on to their first semifinal since 1984. Huge win for this program. Yeah, huge win for the program. Big-time defensive performance shutting down what Austin P was coming into this ball game doing on both sides of the ball uh the governors tried to make a comeback and it when it looked as though they were pushing this game forward and it's, it's 17 to 10 I believe so okay they're coming back they're going to make this thing a game Montana State goes right down the field and scores and essentially closes the door on the comeback attempt so yeah. you like what you saw from Montana State Dominant performance from start to finish. More impressed with their defense and their run game, which was tremendous. And shout out to defensive tackle Jason Scrempos, who got a touchdown catch in this ball game on a jump pass. It's not very often when a man who's 6'6", 299, can get a touchdown on the offensive side of the ball. So well done to him. Kept his hands. You know, this is why everybody should do tip drill. Every single player should do tip drill because you never know if you're a defensive lineman when you're going to be called in as a tight end. So well done to him. On to the third game now, and this one was between Weber State and Montana. This is not the scoreline we expected in this game because Montana the previous week just lit up their opponent. They absolutely destroyed Southeast Louisiana. They put up 73 points. This is a team that's done the, that pretty much all year. They've averaged in that low 40s, high 30s range for most of the season. So you figured, okay... They're going to come in here. They put up 35 on Weaver the last, during the regular season when they played them, beat them 35-16. This is, shouldn't be an issue. But the Baltimore material was already out. Weaver State's one of their defensive linemen said, oh, no, there was nothing that they did. We just didn't play well. Well, <laughs> he was right. Weaver State wins 17-10, to another really tight defensive ball game. 
Uh, both teams in the front seven were outstanding, but it was the Wildcats secondary that was the difference in this ballgame. Well, weather played a huge role in this one. That too. It was it wasn't Kansas City Denver type snow. Yeah. But it was snowing and it you know, it was pretty uh significant early on in the game. Right. But I thought that it didn't matter to both teams. They both were able to kind of make it through that initial flurry of snow. But the defense, we say they picked off Dalton Sneed five times. Now, granted, some of those were weather-related interceptions. Right. However, they're still interceptions. They still picked them off five times. This is an offense that scored 73 points. I like how Montana went, drove down the field, and got the touchdown. He thought, okay, their offense seems to be a little bit more yep. in in sync with, with the weather. Right. They're able to throw the football regardless. Um, got a couple deep passes. Uh, down the field of Torrey, who you know got them in position to score, and uh, after that touchdown, there was no more from Montana. Nothing. Weber State legitimately dominated the rest of the game, and shout out to the Wildcats getting that win, set themselves up for a semifinal matchup. And Weber obviously they got the touchdown in the third quarter, kind of early on, but it was that blocked punt for a touchdown in the fourth quarter that was just the dagger for them. Um, really can't complain about the conditions. Both teams are used to that. You know, Utah, you still got the high mountains there. Uh, in Montana, we know what to expect up in Big Sky Country, but you have to now, I think, put Weber State in this because what they've done the last few years, they are now in the upper echelon of the FCS, and just in terms of their consistency, because this is a couple years in a row now where they've made a deep run into the postseason. They're back in the semifinals. That's a great point. Uh, we're talking about Weber State for three years now, and it's been a slow climb, so you like to see that progress. I'm not saying they were a bad team, no, but they no, were always a good team, but they're going into the elite class now yeah uh perennial top five great defensive uh, performances turning over a defensive roster right um great ground game they lost davis in that game for for a good bit right um and still was able to get the win so this is a team that's built for sustainability in the fcs and and that was the biggest question coming into the year too we were wondering about the defense how do they reload this defense we thought they were going to have a good year you know we thought you know obviously about 500 but we didn't think this good so all of a sudden weber state proving the doubters wrong and now we move to saturday the final quarter final game between north dakota state and illinois state a little missouri valley football this is another one where we thought okay this one should be over relatively quickly north dakota state dominated the Redbirds during the regular season, um, just crushed them uh, early in the year, 30, uh, 37-3. Illinois, they came in with really only one weapon, and that was James Robinson. Pretty good weapon to have, but really not haven't shown too much offensively. But this was the first time in a long time we saw North Dakota State kind of dominated at the line of scrimmage on both sides, which you don't you never see that. Even when they played, they lost to JMU a couple of years ago, that wasn't the case. But North Dakota State still found a way to get the ball at least down to within field goal range, and this was a kicking contest. They win it 9-3. Uh, very rare to see a game that low scoring in the playoffs, even though defense was clearly on show this, uh, this past week. North Dakota State, they find a way to win. Like, that's the biggest key with them, but they certainly show that there are still some vulnerabilities on this team if they don't take their opponent seriously. Yeah, I've seen this team, these two teams play, uh, I want to say, a classic. This was three years ago, I believe, or four years ago. Right, yeah, in the title game. In the title game, I was down there, and Carson Wentz led the comeback. And after what looked to be a walk-off touchdown winner by Trey Roberson, who's now playing great uh, defensive back play 
in the CFL. He's an all-Canadian performer. Um, that was one of the best games I saw. That was a back-and-forth affair. So I've seen Illinois State go toe-to-toe with North Dakota State. So Brock's mm. back and coaches butt off, and they are built the way you want to be built to beat North Dakota State. Yeah. Point of attack play on both sides of the ball, great running game. Unfortunately, didn't get enough in the passing game, and that's not their offense. Uh, but you expect it to be a little bit more. There were some plays there to be had because their defense did a great job in slowing down Trey Lance enough to where they were stealing away possessions. Their defense was getting stopped, forcing three and not seven. So they played a great game. They just didn't have enough firepower yeah. to, to close it out. And that was the difference, I thought, in this team, juxtaposed to that championship caliber team that I saw down there in Frisco, Texas, where they had – playmakers on the perimeter they had the running back uh, you know in the backfield um that was explosive as well and they had the quarterback that was dynamic and they had a tight end that was dynamic right so they had more of a complete offense right to go toe-to-toe with North Dakota so he always had a good defense and in this game the defense was there the run game was there but the the extra element of maybe we can hit a big play in the pass game just wasn't yep. there and I thought that essentially is what cost him this win but North Dakota State like you said they proved to be a champion they proved to be this is what they they do yeah they may not be the best every game day usually they are but this game they had to dig deep find a way to win and they got more than enough points to win the first half right so look at their defense as a i mean to be honest their defense really owned illinois state throughout the game yeah exactly and, and they're not they're not the explosive defense that you get from James Madison. James Madison, you see, you know, guys blowing up plays all of the all over the place. With North Dakota State, they're much more of a well-drilled defense. They're yeah. you know, they're positionally sound. They're very well coached. They know exactly where they need to be. They know their assignment and they stick to it. And they did that throughout this entire game. Robinson still had 94 yards on the ground. And Jefferson, I think, is going to be a good player. He's only a sophomore, I believe. Um, so he's he's going to be someone they're going to build a pro- the program around the next couple of years now that Robinson is moving on to the NFL. Um, but Trey Lance, still efficient with the football, you know, still didn't make too many mistakes there because he still hasn't thrown an interception quietly this season. That's bizarre to Which me. is nuts because Illinois State, they were kind of known for that on defense this year. Um, but Brooks, you know, had a good game. Cofield had a decent game. It was just a question of, all right, get enough to get a field goal at this point. They should have punched in a couple times, and they couldn't do it. So the fact that's that he hasn't thrown an interception in, a, in a, with two at least one more game left in the season, he is putting up Justin Fields type efficiency. Fields yeah. only has one interception, which came on a trick play. And the reason that you don't really talk about Lance as a passer is because one, he's a dual threat, and two, he doesn't throw the ball that much. Like Efficiency. He's only he's only thrown the ball. I think he only had over 200 yards passing three times this year, but he still had like two or three touchdowns a game. But when he does throw it, nine times out of ten, it's usually a touchdown. And he's already got one piece of uh, hardware in his trophy case. We'll talk about that in just a second. But he might be having a second one coming his way because he is still a finalist for the Walter Payton Award. So we'll see if he is a, as a freshman can win the FCS Heisman. Who are your game balls for the quarterfinal round, Emory? Two game balls I got this week. Number one. Running back Isaiah Efonse from Montana State. Not only did he throw a touchdown pass, you alluded to it earlier to the big guy, <laughs> but he ran for 26, 26 carries for 196 yards and a touchdown. He broke the game open. Yes. His run, his 60-yard touchdown run, broke the game open initially, and then when they, when it looked as though Austin P was coming back, 
he was able to 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 rip off another big run yes. to essentially close out that game. That spearheaded the last touchdown drive for Montana State. So I thought he did a great job being a difference maker in that game. And they will have him for a couple more years. He's still an underclassman as well. Yeah. So they'll have him for a couple more years there in Bozeman. I'm also going to stick with the uh, running game. Percy Agye Obese from JMU, 33 carries, 124, and a touchdown. JMU didn't get much many points on the board, but they were still able to move the ball. He is very much a three-down back. He can go anytime you want him to go. Uh, had kind of a tough day for him, but still was critical in getting JMU down the field and putting them in a position to win this ballgame. Yeah, and defensively, I'm going to Weber State. George Tarlis, the defensive end. Yep. Three forced fumbles. Yeah. Don't give me the stuff about it was wet out there, snowing. Three forced fumbles is still outstanding, but that wasn't the thing. He had a sack, which you expect for a defensive end. Right. At some point, you're going to get a sack. Right. 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 Two interceptions. <laughs> so not only did he <laughs> force four, three fumbles, he got a sack, yep. three tackles, and also had two picks. He filled up the stat sheet. He earned his steak dinner that evening. He earned that ice bath. Uh, after that game, he put in a full 60 minutes of work. Outstanding. And I'm going to give my defensive balls to uh, a pair of defensive players from JMU. Sounds like a law firm, Daka and Holloway, but these guys were all over the field. I think Daka had at least two forced fumbles on the day. Holloway, it felt like he should have had about 30 or 40 tackles on, in the game because he was all over the field. So congratulations to them. I'm also going to give a game ball to um, Christian Watson, wide receiver from North Dakota State. Seven receptions for 107. Don't usually get the credit in the passing game. North Dakota State, very much known for the run game. Don't really get too much credit on the wide receivers. You're going to get one for this one. Seven receptions and 107, considering the score lines we had in this round. Good for you, young man. Well done. 25 touchdown passes, no interceptions. Yeah. <laughs> in 2019. Yeah. And shout out to Griffin Crozer, by the way, too, the North Dakota State kicker, three of three. Quietly, they needed all three. Of, <laughs> they needed at least two of them, but they needed all three to, to get the win. So shout out to him as well. He definitely gets a game ball. Kickers are people, too. <laughs> anyway, folks, that'll do it for the uh, game balls for the quarterfinal round. Again, we'll get to the semifinals in a little bit. But first, let's talk about some of the new coaching changes. And this has been a very quiet year, which is nice because the last two years has been absolutely chaotic. I'll tell you why. In FCS. It's well, been nuts. Well, yeah, you're right. Uh, it has been chaotic. But I think a part of the reason why we're not seeing – as many right now because signing day is Wednesday. True. Very the first, true. The first signing day. Which is which also makes sense of why they're all happening now because even last year there were still about seven or eight hires that still hadn't been made before this first signing period. Right. And so we still may see some coaches moved after this signing day. So yeah, a, a ridiculously low number considering what we saw last year, but it may not be done. We'll this, this this first yeah. signing day kind of throws – it kind of it's almost like the if you were to have the NFL draft in the middle of the season. Yeah. Or toward the back end of the season, like week 15. It's like, yeah. all right, so we can't get rid of the coach because we kind of want to you know, keep right. everything in place. Because yeah. usually when you fire the coach, you fire the GM – not GM, but the scouts. and So in, in college it's a little bit different because the coach has recruited these guys all season long. Right. So they know these guys. You right. don't want to disrupt that. Uh, and so, yeah, this is, this is a big week for not only coaches but also recruits because some recruits may delay their signing until they figure out what's going on 
with the coaching staff, right. and he may hold off until the second signing day. Right, which at that point, though, there might be not be anything to sign. That's Bingo. the other thing. Let's get into these, though. We're going to kind of go in chronological order here uh, because we had an early hire that was you know made official pretty much right after we finished the podcast, which is <laughs> this seems to happen every time. We record the podcast, and then news breaks. Right. Thank you very much. Uh, but it's happened at Mercer. Obviously, Bobby Lamb was let go after pretty successful building of that Mercer program. But they went with a very intriguing hire. Drew Cronich is now the new head man there. Um, last two years, he was the head coach at Lenore Rhine in Division Two. He was also the former head coach at Reinhardt and the OC at Furman. Over the last four years, with his offensive schemes, he's won four straight conference titles with the teams that he's coached with a record of 47-6. and six. And he now brings that to Mercer, which now has a very good foundation for Coach Bobby Lamb. Maybe now they can set themselves up to say, hey, let's experiment a little bit and take it to the next level. Yeah, and he also has developed what looks to be a, another uh, NFL player in Kyle Duggar, the safety who's going to the Senior Bowl. Right. Uh, so not only can he also coach, but he has a good track record of developing pro-type talent. Mercer's a sleeping giant. I've always said that. I think they're going to be just fine. And I think when you look at Mercer and, and what they do well, it's going to be excellent to see how they move this thing forward. I'm still a big Bobby Lamb fan. Yes. But I'm interested to see how Coach does here with, with this program that Coach Lamb so – greatly did a good job of building this foundation. And we, we, there will be a Bobby Lamb reference coming up in just a second here, folks. On to the next si- signing, though, that was also on Monday. Eastern Kentucky has their new head man, but it's a familiar face. Walt Wells uh, has been hired. He was the quality um, quality assistant coach at Kentucky. He's one of a couple of Kentucky coaches that are now moving to the head coaching ranks. Uh, but he was also a former assistant at Eastern Kentucky from 97 to 02. So he's, he's been with this program he knows it. This is an Eastern Kentucky team that put up seven wins the last two years back-to-back. That's why the changing of coaches was so surprising, but they brought in one of their own to fill that void. Yeah, this is a, a, a unique program because they have a ton of history here at Eastern Kentucky. They're a really good football program. You can almost say they're in that blue blood category, uh, you know, with the eight, 70s, 80s, and, and, and parts of the 90s. Even re- a couple of years ago, they were a really strong football team with that tremendous tailback whose name slips me. Uh, but – um, you're right. Back-to-back seven wins. This was a team I thought will would be the sleeper in the OVC. And they almost were. They almost were. So I think they're going to be ready to go in 2020, hitting the ground right now. They lose Aaron Patrick, the outstanding defensive end. He's going to be going to the NFL or playing some level of pro ball because he's a tremendous pass rusher. But this is a good program. I think this is going to be a solid hire. Move on to the next one here. This happened on Tuesday. It was pretty much one day for the last week we've gotten these coaching hires. Uh, and the next one came at Lamar on Tuesday Blaine Morgan, the new head coach, announced there he spent the last four to five seasons as the quarterback's coach at San Diego State. This is the Lamar team that's built itself up nicely. It made its first FCS playoff appearance two years ago. Mike Schultz did a good job there. Blaine Morgan, now he brings some FBS experience and a different offensive philosophy into this program. Listen, and this was one of the questionable firings because Lamar, I mean, the program had just gotten off the playoffs appearance last year and yeah so it tells you that this program is still got a lot of talent on the, on the football field but if you're a coach coming in it's like man they just got rid of a successful coach off a of playoff season and you know, are the expectations too high i better win the southland this year exactly right so <laughs> it, it it'll be interesting to see i'm pretty sure he's a great coach but uh lamar's a unique program because they're in that i-10 doing that i-10 uh 
Interstate 10 corridor. So you have Lamar and Beaumont. Then about an hour and a half east, you have Lake Charles, Louisiana, which you have McNeese State. Yep. Hour and a half east of McNeese, you have Lafayette, Louisiana, with the University of Louisiana. Right. Hour east of Louisiana, uh, Lafayette, you have Baton Rouge, where you have Southern LSU. 40 minutes east of that, you have Tulane in New Orleans. So, so you, what you're saying is there's some decent recruiting in there. Exactly. So you got to compete <laughs> with I-10. If you want to keep going east, you have Southern Miss. Yeah. You know, right yeah. there, Hattiesburg. Then you also have South Alabama in Mobile. Yeah. We keep going. Pensacola, you have West Florida, who's been doing great things in Division Two. Yeah. Keep driving. Now you no longer have anything in Jacksonville. So I-10 is, is tough recruiting so we'll see how coach morgan does there on to wednesday and this is one of the ones that kind of shook up the fcs world when cal poly announced their new head coach tim walsh retires they bring in bo baldwin and that name should be familiar to ufcs fans he spent the last three years as the offensive coordinator at cal but he's the former head coach at eastern washington why is this a shock eastern washington's philosophy is not what cal poly does in terms of football this could be a massive shift in terms of what this program looks like on the football field with Coach Baldwin in charge. It'll take some time to turn over that roster to get those guys, especially up front along the offensive line. If he plans to implement the offense that he did at Eastern Washington, yeah. you're going to need guys that can pass pro. Right now you got a bunch of guys that are quick, athletic, smaller guys that are built for the option. So you have to figure that whole thing out. You have to figure out the quarterback situation. Athletes are going to be athletes, so you're going to have running backs and receivers. That's fine. Because um, we saw this type of transition happen at Georgia Tech with right. Jeff Collins get down there and have to turn over that roster that was built for triple, triple option for the last decade and now trying to implement a pro-style offense. It's going to take some time for him to do it, but what a great hire for Cal Poly. Bo Baldwin has some skins on the wall, and yep. it's going to be excellent to see how he turns this thing around. We need to see if how, um, how busy Cal Poly will be not only in the recruitment but in the transfer portal as well, looking for linemen. To bring in that that's a good point offense. exactly that's a great point tight end play yeah. uh, is, is huge uh, I know one guy that's uh, in the transfer portal that's a pretty good player from Georgetown Isaac Schley the tight end he wants to be more of a receiver here's an opportunity if, if you're Eastern Washington to you know I'm not selling I'm not promoting Isaac Schley but I'm just saying that's an option get your yeah. tight end that helps you know that's that's one start because you point. need a different kind of tight end bingo you need somebody that can catch right well, then it was, uh, it was Northern Colorado's turn not to be outdone because they might have hit the home run of the entire coaching hiring cycle when they signed Ed McCaffrey as their new head coach. Again, talk about names that should be familiar to you, not because of his coaching, because he was at Valor Christian High School as the head coach there for the last year or so. We're talking about three-time Super Bowl champion Ed McCaffrey. We're talking father of... Two current and possibly a third future NFL player, Ed McCaffrey. Yes, that Christian McCaffrey, that's his father. He is now the new head man in Colorado. He is a legend in that state. Northern Colorado, we've said this about them. They're kind of that team that's kind of at the bottom. They're waiting for a spark. They might have just gotten a bonfire and to light under this program. Previous coach did a really good job because uh, there was two years ago, or maybe three years ago, Northern Colorado was slowly turning a corner. They had those two special teams. Ernest Collins, yeah. Ernest Collins did a great job there. 
winning season one year, you know, as a pro prospect. Slowly building exactly. it, and then it kind of slipped away the last couple. Right, because it coincided with Nip getting hurt. Think about right. it. Nip is going to be playing in the NFL. Slaughter is playing in the NFL. He's produced two NFL quarterbacks. So McCaffrey is coming into a great situation. I didn't know McCaffrey was coaching prior to, <laughs> to getting this job. I was like, wow. I thought they just, you know, it was. I thought it was a Mike Mayock type situation where, you know, <laughs> bring in the on, name. You're right. He was on TV. He was because he does a great job on Sirius XM. Yes, NFL Radio. Right. And I was like, wow, McCaffrey. I had to double check. It's like, wow, they hired Ed McCaffrey at Northern Colorado High School, or I, so I had to double check. It's like, oh wow, Northern Colorado. Like, I'm excited to see how this works out. Yeah. The name should bring in recruits. Yes. Like you said, he's a legend in that state. He's coached high school football in that state. Put a fence around Colorado. Colorado Col- State's not been the strongest recently. He's well, not going to out-recruit co- the Colorado Buffaloes. But but here's might. the thing, too. You, you look at that state of Colorado. Quietly, we don't see terrible teams from Colorado, Colorado State, or Air Force. Yeah. So there's a lot of good underrated high school talent in Colorado. Who knew, right? So, so there's an opportunity here to win. I'm excited to see how this thing plays out. Couple big, big hires. That was a big, huge hire. This is a big. This is a big year for the Big Sky. You got two semifinals teams, and then you make those two hires. That's going to make it really interesting. Let's move on to the next one here. This is an intriguing one at Murray State. This happened on Friday. They brought in Dean Hood, another familiar name for you, longtime FCS fans. Last couple years, he's been the special teams and linebackers coach at Kentucky. Another Kentucky Wildcat assistant moving into the head coaching ranks, but it's not unfamiliar to Coach Hood. He was the former head coach at Eastern Kentucky from 08 to 15. So he moves back into the OVC. He's now with Murray State, a Murray State team that the last couple of years has been right in the middle of that conference. They've done much better than what they've previously been. Now he's got some coaching experience in the SEC. How does that change his philosophy is what we'll watch. Murray State is another one of these programs that I I, I know people, if they listen to the podcast, they constantly say, well, Emory, every program can be a sleeping giant. But I like Murray State's program. I think they're in a position <laughs> to be a sleeping giant. Uh, you can get things turned around. We've seen spikes of success with Murray State. Yeah, It hasn't exactly. been consistent. If you can bring consistency there, there's enough talent in that southeastern region to recruit, he'll be fine. So we'll, we'll certainly keep an eye on that one. We move to the last one here. This, is, this was the last vacancy that was left open, and this happened on Saturday. So, again, it just continues you know, moving forward with these uh, one coach a week. And that was at Gardner-Webb. Now, Gardner-Webb, as we said, you know, has had a very good season this year. They were much improved, very good at the wide receiver position. So it was interesting that they made a change as well. But they bring in Trey Lamb, the uh, offensive coordinator the last couple of years at Tennessee Tech. We've seen what Tech did this year. They had a much better year than people thought they would. And this guy has a pedigree in terms of the sideline. His father, Hal Recently retired, he was a legendary coach in the state of Georgia. He's won three state titles. His grandfather, Ray, won three state titles during his career. And he's also the uncle of Bobby Lamb, the former coach at Mercer. This guy's got a pedigree. He's built a Tennessee Tech program nicely in terms of offense the last couple of years. Now he gets to take control of the reins as a very young head coach to see what he can do with Gardner-Webb. You mentioned the Lamb tree. (laughs) <laughs> literally literally i am i'm excited for this hire man because you know he has done phenomenal things offensively yeah and i think he's going to do a good job here as well and this is a, a really good hire you know p- 
people need to understand the amount of coaching and not just like schematics. Coaching that takes place at the FCS level. Yeah. This is going to be a home run uh, hire, in my opinion. And this is a Gardner Webb team that is moving in the right direction. They're training they got a the lot right of talent. way already. Yeah. So to see a guy that's, you know, again, first head coaching job, so you don't know, you know, how, you know, you have to learn how to handle those responsibilities a whole lot different from just being a coordinator or positions coach. But if there's anybody, I mean, it's kind of nice when you can call your, your father, your grandfather, or your uncle and say, hey, you got any advice? Can you, can you help me out with this? Um, so we'll see what happens. So good luck to all of the seven new coaches uh, across the FCS. And again, at this point, that's all the coaching vacancies filled. Whether or not something happens after this recruiting portal closes, that remains to be seen. So we'll keep an eye on that. Let's get into our next segment here, and let's talk about the awards that are going on at the FCS level. When we were on the podcast last week, we had the news break while we were recording of the four finalists for the Walter Payton Award. Um, but there are still some awards that were going to be handed out, and two have been awarded, and the finalists were announced for the other. Let's start with the, the winners to start with here. The Eddie Robinson Award, Coach of the Year in the FCS level. There were so many incredible candidates across the entire country, across almost every single conference here. But I think the consensus choice was the right one, and Troy Taylor, the head coach from Sacramento State, with what he did with this program that was expected to do absolutely nothing in the Big Sky this year, got them to a seed in the FCS playoffs. He was the winner. Matt Entz from North Dakota State came in second, and Mark Hutzpeth at Austin P came in third. I've got absolutely no problem with Troy Taylor being the winner of this award. Absolutely not. This was a, an outstanding selection because you look at how well this program has done in his first year. Yeah. Just dominant start to finish. Unfortunately, it didn't work out for him in the playoffs. However, they are a really good football team. They're set up for success. And, you know, he stepped – there was a lot of great coaching c- candidates for yeah. this award, but the fact that he stepped into – what was essentially a, a sleeping program, not a sleeping giant, but just, just sleeping, just sleeping, just like <laughs> Sacramento State, just kind of oh, took a Nyquil, yeah, just, just kind of chilling. Like Sacramento State out there, you know, the big sky, and that's about it. But turned him into a legitimate talking point from east to west yeah. all season long. So shout out to Coach Taylor and his staff for doing a great job and uh, getting in there quickly, turning things around, having those guys believing yeah. that they could win, and and playing well with expectations because it went from a cute story to, okay, you expect Sacramento State to win, yeah. and they were able to handle that. And ch- uh, just to round out the top five in the voting, uh, Coach Kevin Callahan from Monmouth was number four, and uh, Ryan McCarthy from Central Connecticut State uh, was the number five in the both, Coach of the Year selection. Both would have been great choices because we know yeah. Coach Callahan and how well he does with that program. He is Monmouth football. Literally. And Sac- uh, Central Connecticut State's coach, the fact that he got a late start because their coach he was the interim for the first six games yeah because the coach decided hey i want to go coach at rutgers <laughs> how did that work out for you right and and so <laughs> you throw this man in the in the in the mix and i always say it one game block punt away from being undefeated that's a hell of a coaching job absolutely so congratulations to coach taylor though at sacramento state he is the winner of the eddie robinson award for 2019 jerry rice award was also handed out this week that is the, well, the outstanding freshman in FCS there was a lot of great quarterbacks in this group but one had to stand out when you're playing for a national power and coming as a freshman and do what you've done Trey Lance was the consensus winner of this award and rightfully so freshman 
25 touchdowns, no interceptions. Leading rusher as well. 116 first place votes. That's unanimous. I hope so. It wasn't, but still. It should have been. Should have been, but. I know I voted for him. Yep, I did too. So, he earned it. Yeah. I mean, you talk about a new quarterback replacing a legend and stick. Replacing two quarterbacks that are now in the NFL. Right. You talk about first-year coach replacing a legend. A legend. (laughs) (laughs) So, a lot of firsts here for North Dakota State, and both have answered the call. Yeah. Lance, by far the most impressive because he's a true freshman. Yeah, and the the biggest thing with – it's hard to step into the footprints of Giants, and Trey Lance has done that in spades. Again, he never blows you away on the stat sheet. You know, you're never going to see him throw for – 450 yards passing, seven touchdowns or anything like that. But what you will see from him is consistency uh, and dominance in terms of how he runs the field. To round out the top five for the Jerry Rice Award, uh, Jeff, Jeff Undercuffler, the quarterback from Albany. Undercuffler, got the best name ever. But easily the best name ever. Did an incredible job at Albany. He finished second. Uh, Javon Williams Jr., the running back from Southern Illinois. That was another incredible story this year where uh, Southern Illinois, he was in third. Tristan Wheeler, the linebacker from Richmond, he was number four. And Alem Ford, the running back from Chattanooga, finished fifth for the voting there. Uh, let's get into the final award, though, we're going to talk about here. And that was the finalists for the Buck Buchanan Award. The three finalists were revealed over the past week. How I, I want to see, because this, I think, is the closest of the voting between these three candidates. Rondell Carter, the defensive end from JMU. Sully Lacho, I know you are a huge fan of from Nichols, and Dante Olson, the outstanding linebacker from Montana, are the three finalists for this award. You could make a case for any one of these guys without a problem. It's not even close, you know, that these three are the best defensive players in the country, but I don't know who wins out of the three of them. One is still playing. Yeah, So true. that that could also factor in it as well. Uh, but like you said, let's look at the other two guys. Sully Leach, tremendous defensive player. He was a freshman All-American. And he's been consistent every year down there in Thibodeau, Louisiana, for that Nichols Colonels program. So the level of consistency he has displayed. Yeah. Olsen blows up damn near everything defensively. Yeah. So he's been the explosive playmaker. So has Rondell Carter. Yeah. On a defense that has so many stars. Bingo. He's been the one that you you talk about DACA, we we talked about him before Holloway Holloway, uh, so Carter to stand out amongst other standouts is impressive in itself. So yeah. you're right, all three players are definitely worthy uh, for this award, and it's going to be a shame that one won't win it, uh, two won't win it, but yeah. whoever does definitely deserves it. Oh, uh, you look at the stats for these guys. For Carter, let's start with him: 24 tackles for loss, that's second most in FCS, 10 and a half sacks. Uh, in 13 games, he's been you know incredible for them. Sully Lage, first defensive player since 2007 to be named the Southlands Overall Player of the Year, and we know that's incredible, knowing how big that that offense is in that conference. Uh, he's been outstanding this year as well. 22 and a half tackles for loss, and Olson. I mean, this kid is if you if you look at the back corner of the end zone, he's probably there covering a wide receiver on a route you didn't even know about. 165 tackles this year. 165 with 11 for loss. That's insane. That's absolutely nuts. So all three deserving finalists will see that award will be announced along with the Walter Payton Award 
uh, just before the national title game in January. Just like we always like to say breaking news here on the podcast, we just got breaking news coming from our friends at FCS underscore stats. Follow them on Twitter at Craig Haley. Congratulations to Bucknell punter Alex Petchen for being selected as the 2019 Stats FCS Doris Robinson Award recipient. Petchen is one of the best punters in the game. Yes. Doesn't matter if it's FCS or FBS, D2, D3, legit weapon. He will be at the East West Shrine game. There you go. Breaking so, news. And, that in, and the Doris Robinson Award, I believe that is for academic excellence, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, if you're scholar going, athlete of the year, if you're going to Bucknell, you, you better yeah, <laughs> you better Listen. bring the crates. Right, you exactly. Bring Bucknell the is one of the top institutions in, and having coach, uh, talked to Coach Susan, the former head coach there, uh, three years ago. So doing my whole coaching thing right. that that I do the interviews, the history at Bucknell, football wise, yeah, phenomenal. It, it's it's a lot like Fordham, one exactly. of the programs that was the, really what built college football and exactly. what it is back in you know the eon these almost century ago uh now but uh, yeah ex- yeah the uh you know the pre-segregation days hate to go there but that's yeah, yeah that's, true. that's true that's true <laughs> but you get it's them you got montana montana state were in there you yeah. know obviously schools like grambling and southern you know and, and that's what made you know 150 years of college football this year so we just we, saw the you know army navy yeah, exactly. So, so it's it's been great to watch this year of college football. I think they've done a good job in spotlighting the 150th year. Yeah. I think they've done a better job than the NFL has with their 100-year celebration because yeah. you're you're supposed to be wearing throwback uniforms all season long. Oh, absolutely. You know, be. But college football, I think, has done a, a great job with their yeah. programming, their spotlighting of the, the 150th season. So shout-out to Alex Petchett and Bucknell. Absolutely, and by the way, going back to the Buck Buchanan Award real quick before we get into the All-Star Games, fourth in the voting was Zach Hall from SEMO, and Derek Tuska from North Dakota State finished fifth. John Dacker from JMU finished seventh in the list. So, again, talk about stars on that defense. Let's get into the All-Star Commitments. We mentioned Alex Peckin uh, from, uh, from Bucknell. He's going to the East-West Shrine Game, the 95th annual East-West Shrine Game, this one being held at Tropicana Field in St. Pete on January the 18th. There's a lot of FC, FCS players that have been invited to this game that have accepted. Who are your players to watch in this? Well, I, I wasn't prepared for... Uh, well, you should know. Right, but... Because, <laughs> I mean, you got... How about we start with guys I do know? Davidson, Princeton's quarterback. Yep. It, here's why I'm excited to see him. Uh, because you like to see the quarterbacks throw against the upper echelon of talent yes because you get a a better gauge for their arm strength velocity their decision making things will happen a lot quicker as you move up in levels so that's always important for a quarterback Aaron Parker the receiver from uh, Rhode Island tremendous receiver you know and Kyle Murphy I believe is the the lineman that's going down there is from Rhode Island Island. so you got two Rhode Island Rams going down there uh, to coach I mean to, to go down there and perform and so James Robinson yeah. Running back from Illinois State. And his teammate Luther Kirk, the safety, also gets the invite. So you have those guys going. Um, you got two North Dakota State Bison. You got Tuska, the defensive end, and Ben Ellison, the tight end. Also That's interesting because Ellison. He's quietly a big weapon for he them. Was, I thought he was 
good last year. Yeah, they had two good. They had uh, they had a Wentz there last year, I believe, at tight end or year before last. Yeah, and Ellison was the one that I just like. You know, I like how he plays, man. Yeah, and so glad he's going on there. Who else is going on there? You got also along with the other guys we mentioned. We've gotten to all the offensive players there. Um, you also have Dante Olson. He's playing in this game. Tackling machine and Bryce Sturk, who's I voted Bryce Sturk. The best defensive player. <laughs> He's in, a game breaker. Yeah, so he was my Buck Buchanan Award winner. Yeah, um, my, he got my first place vote. But just an excellent defensive player, man. I think he's a tremendous yeah. talent. You know what you have to do? We have to do. You, you want to have the full experience? Put James Robinson in the backfield and put Olsen, Sturk, and Tuska in the defense at the same time, and see what happens. We'll see. I'm always that could be interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'm always interested to see how these 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 guys do down there as far as like how they do during the week. Um, because you know that determines to, the starters. Yeah, it determines the starters. So you like how I was able to throw out those names just off the top of the dome. Hey, you know, totally. I remember, but I didn't have the list ready. Is that all the defensive players that? That is every player, in, and including uh, Petchin from Bucknell. Now we're looking gone. at the the list of commitments and things like that, and there's some. There's still some. There are still some invites out there. There's a bunch of receivers. No, no, I'm sorry. There's probably one more quarterback that's room. They have room probably for two more tight ends uh, but the east west shrine game i think is pretty set on their roster yeah uh maybe one more inside linebacker but if you're looking at the nfl pa game and the senior bowl there's a bunch of spots that are still there yeah and the east west shrine game by the way folks that will be broadcast 3 p.m nfl network and that is on january the 18th i'll be there also on january 18th at the rose bowl is the ninth nflpa collegiate bowl a lot of fcs talent in this one as well a uh, couple of quarterbacks. You have Nick Tiano from Chattanooga, who has kind of always kind of been in the background, but an incredible quarterback. And Reed Sinet, who's led this San Diego program excellently the last couple of years. Reed Sinet looks the part, man. Yeah. You watch him throw; it's just a smooth, easy stroke. He drops back. He he looks like how you expect the quarterback to look, right? Yes. So I'm excited to see how he does because the last game we saw him play wasn't a good one. No. But. <laughs> When you watch him throw, you're like, man, this dude, he got something about him. You know? yeah. So I'm not surprised he's here at the NFL PA game. In the backfield, we don't have – No running backs. No running backs yet. But three wideouts. Three wideouts. Chris Rowland is – he should have been one of the finalists for the Peyton Award. Yeah. He may even win the Black College National Player of the Year uh, Award. What he was doing this season at Tennessee State was just yes. ridiculous. And then you have J.J. Koski from Cal Poly and – Josh Pearson from Jacksonville State. He's another one. Pearson is another player that's always showing up on the top of the stat sheet. You look at tight end position, Woody Brandom from Sam Houston State. Tight end from Sam Houston State. <laughs> no wide receivers from Sam what? Houston State. Right. That, 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 <laughs> let's make, let's make a case. Let's make a case for Nathan Stewart. Why is he not in any of these? Uh, that's what I don't get. That's man. what I don't understand. Let's hope there, there's an oversight that will get corrected pretty quickly. He's the all-time leader in yards receiving. Like, but he did get suspended you, for the last game. He did get suspended for that, but still. Right, I agree with you. And that then has you, nothing to do with this. And then you also have one offensive lineman in there as well, uh, Dieter uh, Iselin, from uh, the guard from Yale, uh, also makes the roster on the offensive side of the ball, a Yale team that was very, very good this year. Struther should be in the game. Yes. The, the tackle from Yale. Yes. If he's not in one of these games, I'm going to be highly upset. Well, he isn't, so be upset. <laughs> uh, and then, Well, again, though, there are still openings. There are still invites that have yet to be answered. There are four defensive FCS players, though, in the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl. 
Uh, Josh Avery, the outstanding defensive tackle from Southeast Missouri. Rondell Carter, the finalist for the Buck Buchanan Award from JMU. Cam Gill, the linebacker from Wagner. He's had a great uh, year as well. And you've got LaCale London, the defensive tackle from Western Illinois. Expound on him because I know you were out there. He, he's not Kalen Saunders. He doesn't have the exact same game. Uh, Saunders obviously now playing for the Kansas City Chiefs. But for him, he's a little bit more versatile. He, he's, he's willing to go on the outside. He can, he's good with his stunts. Um, really an overall, just a solid player all the way around. He, he's gonna, I think he's going to be a little bit, again, he's not Saunders. I don't think he's at that level quite yet. But he's certainly got a motor, and the fact that he's willing to move to different positions on the line, uh, I think, will be big for him. Shout uh, out to, to Keontae Harden, um, cornerback from Pittsburgh State. Uh, D2. The Gorillas, the best mascot <laughs> ever. I just want to throw that in there. And, and Cam Gill, obviously, outstanding right. linebacker. We've gotten to see him uh, a couple times now. He, he's, again, coming from a program like Wagner, which wasn't very strong uh, this year, kind of gets lost in the shuffle. But as we mentioned last week with the – rookies from the FCS level in the NFL, they weren't just coming from the Valley or the CAA or the Big Sky. They were coming from all over the place. Quick. Yes. Missouri S&T mascot. Go. I believe they are the Mule Riders, I think. That is you're, – no, you're, I like where you're thinking, but that's uh, – That's a different Missouri team, isn't it? No, that's in Colorado. That's in Colorado, Yeah, right. that's in Colorado. S&T are the Miners. Just the Miners. Okay, there we go. Um, let's Look move. at you. Like, that, was, that was impressive. The Mule – you said, wait, wait. Mule Riders. No, that's Southern Arkansas. Southern Arkansas. I knew it was somewhere yeah. out that way. Out no. that way. It's still – Missouri right is Southern – Missouri and Arkansas. Is on, uh, Hello. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> Geography. And again, folks, the NFL <laughs> collegiate – NFLPA Collegiate Bowl, that will also be on January 18th. That is also going to be broadcast 7 p.m., on the NFL Network from the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. And now we get into the last one here, the 71st Reese's Senior Bowl. This is another one of the, you know, this and the East-West Shrine game are the uh, the old, you know, the old. The granddaddies uh, of them all. Yeah, exactly. So this one will be at Ladd Peebles Stadium in Mobile, Alabama. This will be on January the 25th. It will also be broadcast 2.30 p.m. Eastern time on NFL Network. Four FCS players at this point. And again, after these first couple of games, after the NFL PA game and East West Shrine game, sometimes there are extra invites that are made. But there, are, you, you look at this list; they are all four of them are excellent. Yeah, and there's a lot of room for receivers. Yes, but let's no. start with the the tight end position because there's two FCS tight ends that are in this in the uh, Reese's Senior Bowl. We got Adam Troutman, who's been making headlines all year long out of Dayton. He's a consensus; he might be a second day pick. Uh, in the NFL draft. And, uh, Charlie, I'm going to butcher this last name, and I apologize. Tamapo. There we go. From Portland State. Portland State, again, quietly, right around 500 this year, much improved, and a big tight end prospect there. Yeah. I'm surprised Matthew Gonzalez out of Robert Morris isn't on one of these these all-star games. Uh, Another good tight end from the FCS. But shout-out to the Senior Bowl. Jim Nagy does a great job in putting together that roster. He's very active on Twitter. Yes, very. Uh, He engages, you know, both with – those that have legitimate questions and also the trolls so <laughs> you gotta you gotta you gotta you burn gotta, you gotta do both you gotta kill it on both ends but Nagy does a great job of putting that together uh shout out to rick siratella at the nfl pa game who does a great job of putting that together uh so and shanka dan shanka i think does a good job with the uh, shrine game i think he's still affiliated with the shrine game so those three guys but Nagy does a excellent job he's coming from personnel right. uh, nfl personnel he's there putting out a, put the, put the, putting together a game he also has 
them going to every game his scouts. Right. We've seen a few. Yes. Uh, out there on the road that are there uh, scouting for senior bowl talent. So I know they probably have their eye on a couple of guys. Right. And they're just waiting. You know, or guys may already have invites in hand. And they're waiting for just they're weighing their options. Weighing, well, I mean, if you get one from the senior bowl, that's you better pick that's the option, you know, to go to. Uh but I think they're probably maybe some coaches hold invites until after the season. Which is stupid because then they might get filled. Bingo. Or you might you right. Why would you hold that invite? So exactly. shout out to the coaches that give the invites when they get them. Yes. Uh we've seen this now become the thing like with the walk ons getting scholarships right, that yeah, yeah. coaches are now announcing their invites invitees on uh social media and they're posting it right yeah so recruiting purposes so we'll (laughs) see but i know jim nagy probably has like a ton of these invites already out there waiting or they're waiting to make some final choices based off what we see in these all-star games uh, not all-star games but bowl games playoffs so we're we're gonna matter of fact duh their reveal show i think is this week yeah, exactly. So we'll find out the rest of the roster this week. And the other two FCS players in the Senior Bowl, Alex Taylor, the offensive tackle from South Carolina State. Big-time fan of his game. Huge, huge player. And Jeremy Chin, the safety from Southern Illinois, who is another guy that is almost a consensus that he's going to be drafted. The question yeah, absolutely. is when. Yeah, he's, he's, he's trekking on the same path as last year's uh, Senior Bowl invitee and participant uh, Jordan Brown was yeah. uh, from South Dakota State. Yeah. So yeah. we'll see. Well, again, we'll have the reveal show coming up. Uh, at the end of this week, I believe he's just We said, won't have the reveal show. They will have the reveal show. They will have the reveal yeah. show. I nice. think it's on, like, Yahoo Sports. It'd be nice like if that. they had us in for the reveal show. Yeah, or at least, well, at least just, you. Uh, have have their people call our people. You know? <laughs> We're <laughs> always willing to do the work. Let's get into the three games that are coming up this weekend. we got two semifinals to deal with. But first, we have a bowl game. Ah, wouldn't it be nice if there were more FCS bowl games? But this one gets full billing. It is the Air Force Reserve Celebration Bowl. It'll be on ABC at noon Alcorn State, the champions of the SWAC once again. North Carolina A&T by default. The representative from the MEAC, they are not the champion. Florida a and I'm about to say, don't. <laughs> FAMU has already come out and saying they are the black national champion, by yeah. the way. On FAMU Twitter, has playing. already said they want Bama. So by, by <laughs> default, North Carolina A&T is going to celebrate. So, that, that, I mean, there's a whole bunch of politics in that one. But still, though, this is the matchup we've seen the last couple of years. This time it's not. You know, A&T still had a very good team, 8-3. and three. Right. They had to fight off a very good Bethune-Cookman squad. They had to fight off an excellent South Carolina State squad this year uh, in order to finish second. Uh, but Alcorn State continues to be the force. What are we watching in this ball game between these two sides? This game will be on September on December 21st, the same day as the semifinals. Yeah, you talk about a, you know, a game that features common opponents. Again, they've played – what, four out of the five matchups, I believe? Yeah, something so like that. So they've done a good job in, in you know, getting through the – The the maze. The, right, the maze of the SWAC and MEAC and find themselves in Atlanta at the end. This time, what I want to – what I will be interested in seeing is quarterback play. Because yep. prior to this year, A&T, we knew which quarterback we were going to get. Now we got no clue. We got Khalil Carter, but – Which one? The, which, which one of five? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, Khalil Carter, we saw, you know, he's a different type of quarterback than uh, uh, Raynard right. was. You know, he's more of the, the dual threat. He's more of the runner. Right. But on the other side, you have a guy that could also win the Black College National Player of the Year award in Felix Hopper. Yeah. The lefty, you know, who got some Kyler Murray to his game. Yeah, exactly. You know, slinging the ball all over the place. So quarterback player is going to be key. 
what we do know is that we will get great offensive line play, great defensive front seven play, yep, solid special teams play. And you wonder if Jermaine Martin, the running back from A&T, might be the X factor in this game because he's going to be the best running back on the field. Well, there's a stable of backs at Alcorn, too. That's true, led by Duffy, who's right. outstanding. Who, who took over for Waller, who was the guy last year. Exactly. You know, so – and Waller is still on the team. So yeah, I'm excited to see this 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 uh, game play out. And I know people tend to get down on rematch games, but don't you want the best teams in the, the bowl game at the end? People have no problem with JMU and North Dakota State getting the semifinals. People have year. no problem with Alabama being in the playoffs every year, right? Or, so, oh, wait. They're playing ah, Michigan in the Citrus right. Bowl. That's ah. right. That's right. That's anyway, right. that game, right. the Air Force Reserve Celebration Bowl, will be at noon on ABC on Saturday. Also on Saturday, though. We'll have a full preview of the – a full breakdown of the uh, Celebration Bowl coming up this week uh, on our YouTube channel. We'll post it online and everything like that. Yep. That'll be adjacent – from our FCS kickoff preview because we want to put – because it's a bowl game, we want a standalone feature on the Celebration Bowl. And we will go in-depth on both of these semifinals as well, but we're going to do a quick preview for you here on the podcast. Check out the YouTube channel for the full breakdown as well as our predictions for go. these two games. And we're going to start with the game that's first on the schedule, ESPN 2, 2 p.m. Eastern, North Dakota State, back at home in the Fargo Dome taking on Montana State. This is, you know, this is the norm for North Dakota State. They're used to being here. They the Fans, when they check out their hotels in Frisco, they book next year's t- They've you know, already in booked. Yeah, they, they do a great job of booking in so, advance, man. But last week they got a bit of a scare from Illinois State, and if there's any team that can kind of mimic what Illinois State did in terms of a game plan, it is their opponent, Montana State, who have an excellent front seven. They've got a few more weapons in terms of offense. Rovig, pretty good quarterback. They've got great running back play from Infonse. And this is their first semifinal appearance, though, for Montana State since 1984. I was three. And the last time they made the semifinals, they made the final and they won it. But this is not familiar territory for the Bobcats of Montana State. This is going to be a really interesting one to watch, though. Two great defenses again. Shout out to 1984. I feel like we're living in 1984. (laughs) Uh, considering what's all going on uh, everywhere in everywhere so but you're right this is I'm glad you laid it out like you did because it's so true they have the same formula to replicate what we saw last week from Illinois State the difference is Rovig is a much better quarterback than what we saw last week from the Redbirds so Rovig I think will have to be the x factor in this game in the passing game you're going to have to make plays in the passing game. You can't beat North Dakota State with a one-dimensional game plan. Right. So no. if Rovig can step up and good thing about that, they're playing inside, no elements, Yeah. he should have his best day. Well, he will need to have his best day in order for him to win. Exactly. This North Dakota State defense, though, is still the they, best. They are the reason that they are in this position. Shout out to Jabril Cox, outstanding defensive Jabril player. Cox is another he, a guy who's been, just been lost in the shuffle. He's probably going to be playing in the NFL next year. He will be playing in the NFL. That dude is outstanding. Meanwhile, the other semifinal, back east, ESPNU for this one, 6.30 on ESPNU from Harrisonburg, Virginia. James Madison taking on Weber State. Again, Weber State battled through a very, very high explosive Montana offense, and they shut them down, held them to 14 points after they had put up 70 the week before. This is a Weber State team that we know you're going to get consistent, steady play on both sides of the football. 
The question is, what are they going to do when they face this JMU defense? Because this James Madison squad is stacked at every position on the defensive side of the ball. They had a rough day in rough conditions against Northern Iowa on offense. You know they're going to want to turn that around. Danucci has improved greatly as a quarterback the last couple of years. The transfer from Pitt. This is, again, though, JMU. This is two teams, though, that are very much familiar now with this space. Being in the semifinal, having that pressure, and I think a team wearing purple will win. Good point right there. (laughs) Uh, The bold prediction of David Hassan. Offense is the name of the game here. As great as both defenses are, I quietly, quietly, still have some concerns about both offenses. For different reasons, For different reasons, though. Exactly. And Weber State, how healthy will Davis be? That's going to be a huge key because if he's not 100%, that's a huge part of their offense. I mean, this is a guy that was incredible last year as a freshman. And the fact that he went down – What a pretty – it looked worse initially right, he was than a, it turned he was, out to be. Yeah, right, because he, he was on the side. He couldn't get up. Yeah. And he was on the side walking around, so it was all right, cool. Uh, but you just hope that he's healthy for this game. Right. Um, and, you know, I don't know. You know I have my uh, excellent weather device tracking <laughs> system here. The, the, the Emory forecast. The predicts. Emory forecast. It's too cold for me. Exactly. So <laughs> they should be fine on Friday. Yes. Should be fine. Yes. And um, that should be a problem. So weather should be okay for both teams. But for James Madison, quietly, their offense wasn't that good last week. Last week last week they had a lot of problems. Northern Iowa did a great job at shutting them down. I've seen, though, what JMU can do when they click. And if this turns into a track meet, they will literally be in the locker room while Weaver's at the 50 trying to catch them. Who do you trust more? What, well, what do you trust more? James Madison's passing game or Weaver State's passing game? Having seen it, having seen both of them watching the Weaver State game last week, I would still say James Madison. I would trust Weaver State's passing game. That's going to be interesting, isn't it? Exactly. So, again, folks, this is semifinal weekend. Those games are both on national television. There's no excuses. Nobody wants to watch MAC teams versus Conference USA. If Louisiana isn't playing, (laughs) you have no reason to watch bowl games. In the Gasparilla Bad Boy Mowers Bowl, that's a legitimate thing, by the way. Also, there's Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. I don't know why the Sun Bowl (laughs) went ahead and got a sponsor. (laughs) You're you're known as the Sun Bowl. Just dumb. You don't go get Tony the Tiger. That's something for the Red (laughs) Box Bowl. Like you don't, you don't go to you. Of all things, I guess it makes sense because you can't say the Frosted Flakes Sun Bowl. So I get it. Go with Tony the Tiger. But you're the Sun Bowl. I remember when it was the John Hancock Bowl. Yeah. I also remember when it was the uh, Hyundai Sun Bowl. Uh, and also the Franklin Mortgage. I think there was no. It was uh, Nor- Northwest uh, Mortgage Sun Bowl. I remember that. Um, Shout out to Kellogg's. Exactly. Shout out to Kellogg's. Because now Tony the Tiger's face is front and center on a damn logo. Like I said, folks, there's no excuse not to watch the FCS, the true college football Division I playoff. It's all on national television. The Celebration Bowl is a great appetizer at noon. First game kicks off at 2 o'clock. North Dakota State, Montana State at ESPN 2. 6.30 ESPNU, James Madison taking on Weber State. I think that's all we got to cover here, Emory. We got a a huge show coming up uh, during the week, so be on the lookout for that. 
But yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Shout that's out to Craig Haley too for uh, for his outstanding work all for being Craig year Haley. long. Yes, just for being Craig. We love you, Craig, for just being you. Yeah, folks, that'll do it for the FCS Opening Drive Podcast, the semifinal preview. Thanks very much for listening in, and good luck to all of your teams for the participants left in this FCS season. We'll see you next week.